lead with curiosity. So if you're curious about something and you're like, ooh, I keep watching videos about this thing. Maybe, maybe I have a passion or interest in that. Then go spend some time doing that thing without expectation. Hi, all, and welcome to Muko's Corner. It's a show about learning to lead a life that feels more you in both your life and tech career. The show is live streamed on my YouTube channel, and I'm happy to have you here with us today again in the podcast version. I kind of feel like it's more intimate this way, you know? I'm your host, Mayuko Inoue, and I invite you to come in, sit down, get cozy, maybe get a drink, sit by the fireplace, cozy up, and enjoy the show. Today, we're going to be talking about creativity. It's something that's becoming a bigger theme in my life since starting my YouTube channel, and I honestly love learning more about it. And I think that's because growing up, it felt like you either had to choose to be a creative person or like a science or logic person. Like you're either right-brained or left-brained. I chose a very left-brained science-y career in software engineering, especially as an Asian American where most of us are encouraged to study and pursue a career in STEM. But as I get older, I'm realizing that life is not nearly as binary as I thought. There's actually a lot of gray in between where you can have both. In today's show, we'll talk about this myth with our guest and how we both found our middle ground. And our guest today is Matthew Encina. He's a creative director, designer, and content creator. He makes thoughtful content to share insights and stories from his journey as a creative professional to help others find their way. Previously, Matthew served as a chief content officer at The Future and was an award-winning creative director at Blind. Now, he's on his own, exploring new possibilities and rediscovering his creative voice. Hi, Matthew. How are you doing? And how has your week been? Hey, Mayuko. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, Week has been going very well. I always forget what day of the week it is. My sense of time is totally off, to be honest. I can't tell if it's a Friday, Saturday or Wednesday. And I'm (laughs) totally fine with that. But it's a week is going fantastic so far. Good, good. I also woke up today thinking it was Friday, but it's very much indeed a Thursday. So I feel you there. Time is warped. Pandemic is yeah. one thing that you know messes with that. But I'm sure also kind of your newfound time uh, after leaving the future is about that as well. So absolutely, it's all of those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on to this show. Um, we actually met, I think, at like VidCon two years ago. I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's kind of really when I started to find out about you and your work as well as the future. Um, And I've been kind of following you ever since. And you're just such a big advocate for like creativity and creative living. And like I mentioned in the intro, it's just such a like a theme in my life that I've really just been getting more in touch with. So really excited for today's show. where We're going to talk all about that. So I guess we'll just kind of dive in. Um, uh, We talked like I think in this topic. One of the first things that we wanted to do was do a little bit of like myth busting, um, specifically mm-hmm. this whole like you're left brained or you're light, you're right brained. Oh, goodness. Can't talk. Um, That's the mix right there. The light brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think it's like interesting that we like that's like a common thing, right? That's a common mentality that a lot of people have about your career, about your talents, about your skills and stuff. And I think it's the result of maybe like growing up, there's lots of signals from the world about being 
either like an arts and humanities person or a science and STEM person. So Matthew, mm -hmm. for you, I feel like I, I see you as a very creative person, but when do you, when did you realize that you were a creative person, I guess? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think like most uh, creative people or artists, they all have the same stories. They started drawing when they were really young and, you know, they played with certain things and saw the world in a particular way. For me in particular, my earliest memory of me being a creative or even more specifically a designer uh, was when I was about four and a half years old. I had just started kindergarten. And at home, I had the luxury of playing with a bunch of Legos. My auntie and my my mom, my parents, uh, they bought me Legos because they saw that as a way for me to um, keep busy and shut up, but then also <laughs> uh, play and, and keep busy and, and build things. And that is something that uh, has been a, a pretty big staple, I think, in my life and my development. So going into school, now playing with other kids, other students, I remember, you know, we're all encouraged to play with each other during recess and I'm playing with the Legos, building something. And I have, I think I was building a car. It was like black and red. Like I picked the colorways. I picked a very particular form. It was long and sleek. And then, you know, I, I'm finishing building my car and I look over to my classmate and they're using multicolors and it's a big blob of Lego bricks and I have no idea what it is. And the snob, the design snob in me kind of turned on is like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to play with that person. Like what the heck are they making? Uh, and, you know, you could argue which person was more creative at that point, you know, me being highly selective or the person who had this crazy blob of, of this Lego mishmash. And maybe it was something pretty magical in their eyes. I don't know. But that was one of the first moments that I knew that there was something creative and and a designer snob in me. And, that, you know, that's after only many, many years of looking back at that moment. Yeah, I was going to ask, too, because like when you're a child, like have, having these different kinds of experiences where you realize how different you might be from your peers in these kind of like play dates and like different school activities and stuff like did you like do you remember if at that time when you looked at like your peers Lego and you were just like oh, doesn't look good I guess I just have like this creative sense or something like did you feel that while you were a kid or is that yeah like you said kind of once you're reflecting on this as an adult and you've already had this career um mm -hmm. is I guess how do how do you kind of play and like work through that right you know it's um as we grow older and we reflect back on our memories, our memories aren't always true to life, right? It's the, there's a lot of things we inject in there. So when I think back at the time, if you've ever watched the movie Inside Out, uh, Pixar, mm. right? And then mm -hmm. you see the different emotions kind of appear in uh, the person's mind as they're developing. It starts with joy and then sadness. And eventually disgust appears in there when she first starts eating the broccoli or something. It's like, oh, I don't like this. What is this thing? That could probably be the moment where the disgust <laughs> turned on in my head. Like, oh, like, what is that? I don't know. What is that thing? You know? Um, but of course, many years have passed. I'm reflecting on it. And, and I look at that moment and maybe I'm injecting way too much into that. Who knows how I really felt. But because there was emotional coding at that moment, because that moment was so strong, even after, you know, 30 plus years, there definitely was something there uh, that made it an important moment for me. 
Definitely. I think it's actually fascinating that you bring up these like childhood memories too. Cause now that I'm thinking about it, like when you talk to creative folks, a lot of people do, like you said, bring up like, oh, when I was a kid, used to love to paint, used to love to draw, used to love to dress up or something like that. And that's kind of always where the story starts. And it's interesting because reflecting even in my own experiences as someone who kind of came through the very like technology science side, um, when you talk to somebody who's kind of prevalent in the area, their story also starts at a pretty young age where it's always like, you know, when I was a kid, I used to like to tinker with stuff and take things apart mm -hmm. and learn how they work yes. and do science yes. experiments. Yes. So it's like, I don't know, I, it's, it's fascinating to me that, you know, again, like you said, like memory is um, kind of subjective in how we view it as an adult. Uh, but mm -hmm. as like in children, like there are these signs that pop up that you kind of reflect back on and almost like you think of that as like, oh, this was like a creative moment for me or this was like a science and tech moment for me. So, mm -hmm. it, it, yeah, I'm I'm like I think for the first time I'm seeing that overlap and it, it's kind of it's kind of interesting to see what's ha happening here. <laughs> Right, right. And I, no, I was the same way. Another story I'll tell you is, um, you know, my parents, they would buy me toys. And I remember they bought me a, a racetrack set. So it's like this little track with these motorized cars that you would race me and my brother. And may, it, it was maybe a few weeks, maybe it could have been a few months, I'm not sure, but I got bored of the toy. But I was so fascinated that the car would run on this track if I just squeezed this little trigger. So I remember when my dad was sleeping because he worked the graveyard shift and he would be sleeping most of the day and me and my brother got the free time unsupervised, you know, in the <laughs> afternoon. Uh, I went to my dad's toolbox. I got his hammer, looked at my car, and then I broke that thing open because I wanted to know how it ran. So I yeah. broke it open and then, uh, you know, this nice, who knows how expensive that toy is, probably pretty expensive. And I broke it up and then I found this tiny little motor inside. And then, you know, these two little conductors where you put the battery and I was like turning it on and I could see the motor spinning. I was like, whoa, this is so much more fascinating now. And then I remember, I don't know what I did with that thing. The motor, maybe I was just using it to like grind up stuff or, you know, just like rub it against certain things. I don't really know, but it became such a fascinating toy to me. But it came out of the curiosity of why is this doing what it's doing? How does this work? And then what are the internal mechanics? And that is another thing that you could say that's a little bit more um, on the logical side, perhaps. I'm not sure because I think the theme of what we're talking about is they're really intermixed. But that curiosity and then figuring out how something works and then and then finding the imagination of, well, what can I do with this thing after? It's this back and forth of uh, curiosity, problem solving, and then figuring out uh, a different way forward. 100%. Yeah. I think like as um as I've really stepped into my creative career, I am finding a lot that it's just like it's both. Like you're both creative and you're both technical and in in creative work, a lot of the times it is heavily technical. And even in technical work, there's often a lot of creativity required to solve new problems, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just really interesting, like just talking to you about this, because like, I think if you talked to five years ago, me, I'd be like, Matthew is so different from me in the skills mm. that he's like, you know, learned and just the life that he's led. But in fact, I'm like, now that I'm who I am now, I'm like, you know, we're actually like really freaking similar about how we see the world and how we kind of view creativity and like being technical and curiosity and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I kind of still want to like bring back to like this, like science from the world about being technical or creative too, because I think it's, mm -hmm. it's, I, you know, these kinds of things, these um, 
I guess, structures are meant to help us make sense of the world. And it's one lens mm-hmm. in which to see everything, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's a very common one that spans even across like cultures and stuff. Um, yes. and, and I think specifically, like, I think it's really interesting to talk to you about this because, uh, like in my experience in kind of, um, anybody who has like an Asian American cultural background, there's this general sense of just like, like a lot of Asian American folks go into STEM or like kind of technology related careers. Um, it, mm-hmm. that was my experience, like at UCs and stuff. It was just like, you really found like Asian students who were studying arts and humanities and most of them were doing STEM sciences over generalization, mm-hmm. obviously. And UC mm-hmm. San Diego is an extremely sciencey school. So uh-huh. bias there. Um, mm-hmm. but I guess like for you too, um, like had, had you ever been advised against going against the creative path as like a lifestyle and career? Um, or were you always kind of encouraged to, to kind of pursue that path? Uh, I was very fortunate that I was under no pressure by my parents to pursue mm-hmm. one thing over the other. But I believe once they saw certain things in me, they did encourage me to pursue creativity. Uh, uh, you know, seeing me draw early on, my my parents and my extended family, they would buy me supplies, art supplies, paints, watercolors. And I, on my dad's side specifically, a lot of them, none of them took up art as a career, anything creative as a career. Um, yet all of them were great painters and actually pretty good illustrators. And they just did that on the side. And I think, you know, they helped infuse a lot of that in into me. Um, so moving forward into, uh, you know, going through school, I was always a pretty good student. I was always like a, a student. Uh, I was even excelling quite a bit in in math specifically. It was always in advanced uh, levels for for math, and it was at a turning point, probably around um, going from middle school to high school. I had options, where my high school, which was Mayfair High School in uh, Lakewood, California, they had just opened up a specific uh, creative arts program where they got a grant that they applied for, and you have to apply. You have to have a portfolio. This is like in ninth grade. You have to have a portfolio to get into this specialized program to take additional uh, arts um, classes, which would teach you about illustration, uh, about fine arts, and then also about digital uh, art. So I was like, ooh, this sounds so cool. And I had just been using a computer for a few years at this point. So, And it it was already about art. So all these things were kind of perfect. So I applied for the program. But as I was getting out of middle school, you know, I was also in band in middle school. So I had the option to go to marching band. I had a lot of friends over there. And that also sounded very fun to me to pursue. And then, like I said, I, I've always been a pretty good student and I excelled in math. So if I wanted to, I could also, you know, go further there. So I had all these choices. But the thing that was the most exciting, maybe because it was more challenging, because I had to jump through hoops, was pursue this creative thing, jump into this mm-hmm. program. I had to put a portfolio together, like all these things. It's like I'm a competitive person by nature. So maybe some of those things drove me. And, you know, I just I've always gravitated towards the art. So that was a big deciding moment for me that I think set me on a very uh, particular path to pursue that over other things. Wow. And this was you as a ninth grader. I I want (laughs) double checking here. (laughs) Wow. Whatever age, maybe that was 13 years old. I don't don't remember. Something like that. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's a big kind of, uh, I guess, like a fork in the road for like going one way or the other. And, and it's interesting mm-hmm. to hear that you also have this, like in, you had many creative paths before you, but you also had kind of these math and science fields. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, it, it sounds like your natural kind of curiosity and like you said, your competitive nature had you kind of be more pulled to the creative side, um, mm-hmm. which like, you must have been a very like self-aware ninth grader. <laughs> I feel like to be able to make that decision. No, but no, I wonderful. don't think so. I, I think there's some <laughs> some uh, native raw drives that are in me from my parents and environment. But then okay. also, I think it's you know just like most students, insecure, don't really know my identity. I had my identity as a child, and then of course school and the peer pressure warped that and then me trying to be somebody else so, like all those things still happen to me as a yeah. high schooler I wasn't yeah. that self-aware and like uh, uh not following the, the crowds I was very still much like that and I had friends that were pursuing the art thing too so that also gave me comfort in pursuing that I see yeah that's so fascinating um so I'm gonna fast forward like a lot here because from mm-hmm. ninth grade Matthew who had all of these kind of pads laid out you chose the very like creative artistic way you've had this incredible career in creativity um being chief content uh officer at the future as well as working at blind um a lot of work that you've done you've like directed commercials and stuff like that um I think like yeah, it's it's just such an incredible career that I aspire to have. Um, and, and so kind of this bringing it back to this myth of like you're either left brain or you're right brained. So now mm-hmm. kind of where you are in your life and having the career and path that you did, how does that myth sit with you now? I know we kind of started to touch on it, but let's really like dig in here. Mm-hmm. I think whatever you choose to pursue, especially in this day and age, you do need both. And we're always both. I don't think we are um, binary in the sense that we just have these locked, fixed positions and identities. I think there's, like you said, there's so much gray and so much color in our lives and in this in this world if we allow it, right? If we allow ourselves to be open-minded, if we allow ourselves to be curious and not fixed and locked into our beliefs, our belief systems, and the things that would probably limit us from actually expanding and uh, adopting new ways, adopting new things and seeing things differently because creativity or innovation, however you wanna call it, it does require both sides of the brain and a little bit of um, looking at it in in two different ways. So I'll give you an example. Many of the commercials I worked on back in the day, for instance, like for Xbox was a big uh, client of mine. And as a creative, I would have to pitch ideas of what these uh, campaigns and commercials might look like. But then at the end of the day, once the job was awarded, they're like, okay, now go make it. And so now all of a sudden there's a technical side that kicks in. A lot of it was 3D animation where there's a creative part where I have to figure out the story of a particular commercial and then I have to figure out the technical aspect, of course, alongside with a fantastic team. But it it forced me to keep switching back and forth. I made this big promise of something that has never been done before, but now I have to figure out how to build that thing. So I, I go back and forth through these states um, quite a bit and I don't see them as separate things. I see them as parts of a process. 
Yeah, because I think like when we think of artist, a creative person, like the stereotype is it's this brooding artist that like works by themselves and like doesn't collaborate and stuff. But in the 21st century, especially with like online kind of content, there's just so many different ways to be a creative person. And that process that you mentioned of just like, yeah, when you're creating a commercial, there's a lot of moving parts. I wasn't exposed to that until like a couple years ago. And I had the opportunity to be part of like this production for Microsoft where they were just making like a web series. And I was like, mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, I'm there. Like they needed a host. And, and I was like, I guess I can talk about technical stuff and I understand it. So <laughs> I took it um, not knowing anything about what was going to happen. I was just like, yeah, I have a computer science -y brain like that. That's what I'm there for. And I can talk to, to the camera and stuff and sort of be natural more or less. Um, and then when I got there, I realized there was like a whole 30 person like production team. Um, everyone mm -hmm. played a different role. There were many cameras. Director was like, project manager right who was kind of like calling all the shots and making sure that everything was good there was um like admins and stuff who made sure everyone was fed um a whole schedule and stuff and like it was so interesting to see that happen it we filmed over the course of like one and a half days or so um with like half a day mm -hmm. of like setup as well it was so fascinating to me to see that happen in real time in real life because the only thing i could compare it with are like two month long software engineering projects. Um, mm -hmm. But I found so much commonality because at the end of the mm -hmm. day, you're trying to bring something that never existed into reality with other people. And mm -hmm. when you're working with other people, no matter what the project is, it's collaboration, it's systematizing things, it's process, it's organization. It's making sure that you have your shot list before you actually start filming stuff um, to make sure mm -hmm. that like everything is organized and good and you kind of make your vision happen as well as like in software engineering, when you're thinking about building something, you break down all of the little tiny pieces into smaller pieces and understand how to build it. Um, and that mm -hmm. becomes like your to-do list for how to build things. And then you involve other people. Like, I don't know, stuff like that. I'm just like, it makes my brain buzz. Cause I'm just like, there's just so much like it just completely confounds me to uh, about what I had thought I know I knew about creativity. And granted mm -hmm. those two, like my two experiences there, like specifically the one being on set for Microsoft and every software engineering thing I've ever done um, live to me in very different worlds, even though mm -hmm. the filming thing was for Microsoft. It, it, to me, it was just like parallel universes that would never interact with each other that happened to interact in that one weekend. Um, mm -hmm. And so like the more that I go on, I'm just like, everything is connected. <laughs> Maybe this is sounding very mm -hmm. big brain, but I'm like, everything yeah. is connected. Everything is the same. Um, it really isn't quite as binary as I thought. Right. Absolutely. And even yeah. in the space that we both play in now with creating content, um, all platforms, but specifically YouTube, it's there's an art and a science to it. And yeah. I would say that understanding both parts of it are are crucial if you want to stand out and succeed on on this platform for instance right um so part of it is the content what is it that you're going to talk about and how are you going to show that in a way that's going to be interesting to somebody else and then on the other side of that is like well what are you making and are these things that are people are actually looking for are these things with high velocity high search volume and then when you put something out in the world you can measure it when you put your piece of content out there YouTube gives you such rich analytics um, and you have a chance to tinker and 
um, alter things like the title and the thumbnail, the description that might improve uh, the performance of it after something is done. So it does require this back and forth of the creative aspect and this logical aspect. And I think both are important if you really want to um, stand out uh, amongst everybody else who maybe doesn't know these things. Yeah, definitely. I'm actually curious too, because now that I'm thinking about it, like, you know, YouTube is something that only existed starting from like 05, 06, 07 ish. Do you feel mm -hmm. like this is something that's very unique about creativity ever since online content and like just internet things happened where like a lot of this creativity is fueled by um, like tech companies creating platforms and new mediums to create. But like, pre-tech industry and stuff, it, it kind of looked more, at least my assumption is that it was a lot more traditional um, uh, styles of creativity and art. So I, I don't know, do you, have you thought about that or what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think the internet and things like analytics and data have definitely accelerated um, the ability to see and understand those things. But I believe they were always there. They were probably a little bit more compartmentalized. For instance, if we look at making a building, you have an architect who's designing this thing and then the engineer who's making sure that it's structurally sound. And it goes through this process and those were a little bit more compartmentalized in the past. Um, nowadays, you know, I'd imagine there are some people who are hybrids of those two and can understand those two things that the, the knowledge is a little bit easier to access and uh, a little bit um, easier to apply and implement. And technology is making these things a lot more convenient for us to understand and make sense of the thousands of in and out uh, inputs and outputs that are going on in what you make. So you can understand it and make educated guesses. Of course, you might understand how the system works, but just because you play to the system doesn't mean it's going to work. You, right. right. You see patterns. And just because you play to that pattern doesn't mean your video is going to be a hit. You might still have to think creatively. It's like, if everybody else is doing this, then I should probably do this because yeah. that's the thing that's going to stand out, right? So I think it, when you understand those two things and realize that they're very approachable and accessible to think like a designer, to think like a creative, but then also logically look at something as a process of, I have a challenge, I have a goal. Um, here's, here are the parameters that I can work within. And now I have a hypothesis that I can test and then iterate on. It's like, that's a very scientific thing. Yet we, as a designer, you use that all the time in something that is considered a creative profession. Yeah. It's literally like the saying of it's both an art and a science, um, mm -hmm. like for many things, but in fact, like, I don't think I've ever seen it turned as like a, it's important to have the skill to be able to see things as both an art and a science. So that's mm -hmm. really fascinating. Um, I, I, before we kind of dive into like kind of sharing our own lessons about creativity and stuff, there is another thing that I wanted to ask you about, um, as it pertains to creativity specifically, I think similarly mm -hmm. to just like how creativity as a topic has become, I would say like more popular, I guess, in the last five, 10 years, mm. there's a lot more books. There's a lot more conversations um, about creativity. Um, one of the things that I've learned a lot about is just how the creative process is just like by nature, very um, scary. Like there's a lot of just mm. fear that you have to overcome um, in, in creating new stuff. Like I've been reading this book called mm -hmm. art and fear, which is literally about like, you have to sometimes overcome your own fears to really put out something 
that is creative, that is a part of you that uh, you're proud of to have made. And that's not something that I really hear very often in the technical community or the science community, like fear, like fear mm. is a thing that you encounter mm. in this work. Um, but in creative mm. work, I've felt this in my own experiences, just like making videos when there's a new video that I want to make um, and I make it and it's just like, you know, very different or new, but it's very personal to me. R the whole mm -hmm. writing, filming, editing, releasing process is inherently fearful for me because I, you know, it's always like mm -hmm. I'm always afraid of what people think. And it's always mm -hmm. like create creativity is such a personal process of bringing things that are in here and in here into reality, mm -hmm. into a tangible form. Um, mm -hmm. What's been kind of your experience in kind of working through that um, fear and creativity thing? That's a that's a fantastic question, and I appreciate you sharing that because you're right. As a creative, um, sometimes the source of inspiration or expression, especially if it's just art, because I think art is expressing something here and here, like you're saying, for somebody else to experience. Where um, the commercial arts or design is solving a very particular problem and looking at things in an innovative way. So they're slightly different. And, you know, we can go on for hours debating what is art, what is design and what, you know, everything in between. But that's generally how I think about it. And so for me, being a creative person, um, and then moving through school, which school for me was another competition in my mind. The teacher sets uh, a goal. Here's a grade. If you do these things right and you follow these rules, you can earn this grade. So the competitive nature in me is like, oh, that's pretty easy. I, I know the rules and I know how to I'll win this grade. So it was very objective for me at that point for me to get from uh, go to an A, right, to get an A in class. I just have to do these things. Not a big deal. I think that carried over with me actually into the creative space because as I went through school, I was trying to figure out my teachers, the things that they like and things that they would uh, appreciate in a student. And I would kind of cater to that and I would build my projects around that. And then even moving into working with clients on a professional level, all I have to do is understand what it is that they want and then do my best to serve them and get them the goal that they want. Of course, being younger, being more naive, there was a lot of me injected in there as an artist feeling like, ooh, I have to put my flavor or my stamp on it. Over time, I realized like that is a losing battle because I'm if I let my ego enter that arena and put that ahead of what I'm trying to do, which is serve the client, the person in front of me, then that's going to make a really weird relationship and expectation as to what I'm creating at the end of the day. So because of really good mentorship, I've realized to be very, very detached from my creative work. The moment that it's done, I can look at the thing and be very objective about what is happening with it and less emotionally detached to what's going on. So if I make a video and if it performs well, it's like, sure, that's fantastic. That's exciting. And, you know, I get to, um, I get to celebrate a little bit, but then I'll quickly move on to the next thing. Conversely, if there's something that performs poorly, I look at it and not be sad about it, but think about, okay, that's not performing well. Why isn't it performing as well as the other ones? What did I do differently? What can I still do to potentially boost this thing? Mm 
what can I do in the future? So I look at it more objectively, like these are all experiments. These are all things that maybe were part of me for a moment, but the moment that they are published and out there, it's like um, cutting off, severing that thing. And it's like, now it's, it's just an external object that I can look at that I don't have to be that emotional about. And, um, you know, that's not always true. And like, I will still get pulled in emotionally for certain things, but for the most part, that's my relationship with it. And I try to be as objective about the thing as possible and learn from that, because if I learn from that, then I can make the next thing better. And it's just this continuous iteration. Yeah. That's so fascinating. Like it, it sounds to me like one of I feel like the way that you figured out how to manage this is to kind of inject the logical thinking into that process mm -hmm. of when when things are going well, when they're not going well, logically thinking through, okay, what happened here? What are the analytics? Like, what can I do better next time? And that's, I feel like another really interesting place where, yeah, creativity and science, technological, I don't know what I'm going to call that, but like that stuff mm -hmm. really combines to help you move forward and keep making stuff too. So that's, that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. So before we jump into Q and a, um, I do want to kind of like talk about sort of like call to action. Cause I think a lot of the people mm -hmm. watching this live stream uh, who are my viewers tend to kind of be more in the sort of technical sciencey side. Um, mm -hmm. As I've made more content and have kind of revealed more parts of myself in terms of how I think about creativity and, what I think about on a day-to-day -day basis and how I'm not just a technical and sciencey person. I also like all these other things. I've heard mm -hmm. more um, kind of stories from people who are like, yeah, I'm also a software engineer, but I also like doing these other things too. And it's hard for me to figure out how those two can exist together and how can mm -hmm. I foster my creativity. Um, mm -hmm. I, like, I think, yeah, again, if you were to talk to five years ago, me, I'd be like creativity, like there's no room for that in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, even though like, that's something that I think I probably looking back desperately wanted to do. So mm -hmm. kind of in your opinion, um, what do you think people can do to foster their creativity if they've never really felt like the creative life was for them? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. And let me, there might be multiple answers to this, but the first thing that comes to mind right now is to lead with curiosity. So if you're curious about something, and again, creativity can be a lot of different things. There's a lot of things that I personally consider to be creative, like playing the guitar, I consider to be creative, but also learning like woodworking or pottery or something like that. To me, those are all creative. And so if you're curious about something that you're like, ooh, I keep watching videos about this thing. Maybe, maybe I have a passion or interest in that then go spend some time doing that thing without expectation. I think that's the most important thing because people who are creative professionals or think, or people who are not creative professionals, we kind of fall into this trap where we see somebody who's creative doing something and they're like, oh, if they can do it, I can do it. I, I, I get it, I get it. And then you do the thing and then you don't get the same result as them. It's like, I made this video, they got a million views and mine got 50 it's the same quality if you're looking at it objectively, but, and then you have these sour feelings towards it. And then you might not explore that creative path anymore just because your expectation was set to be so unrealistic for many reasons, right? It's your first attempt. That's probably that person's 10,000th iteration of that same thing. So you're comparing the beginning of your journey to somebody else's end. 
or you know middle or wherever they're at so that's one thing um the other part is just exploring creativity without that expectation so for for instance like I have a guitar in the other room and I practice the guitar maybe once or twice a week. Whenever I just feel it, it's like, ooh, I like this song. I wonder if I could play that on the guitar and I'm going to practice that. I know in my heart that I'm never going to be a rock star on stage. I'm never going to perform at a concert and any of that stuff. I have no expectation other than I like that song and I just want to see if I could play it. Like, what are the chords? And let me start playing that. And, you know, I'll practice for an hour and I'll get lost in it. And then, um, you know, I'll put it down and that's it no expectations but for for me it's like i'm i'm itching something i'm itching a calling and i want to keep nurturing those things um i uh also used to be a dj back in high school so i still have turntables so every so often i will get these little stints where i really like i listen to an amazing dj and it inspires me it's like shoot i i love that connection to music so i'll dj sometimes i'll live stream uh here and there but it's completely for fun no expectations other than I want to have this moment with music, moment with my creativity without any expectations. I'm not looking to monetize it. I'm not looking to sell this to a client, none of that stuff. So I think that's the most important lesson that I'm reflecting on these days. Uh, but there are many, many others. So let me pause there and then have you uh, come into the conversation here. Yeah, that's so, I love all of that because I'm hearing things like, like be curious, which that's like a thing that often in the technical science community, we're also talking about too, right? Like scientists and stuff, their whole job is to be curious, to do experiments mm -hmm. and find core truths about different things. Um, in software engineering too, I think as you go on in your career, the more senior that you get, one of the things that um, actually, even as a junior engineer, one of the qualities that a lot of companies look for is curiosity, because um, mm. like that's the best way to learn more things. It's the best way to like build good products. Um, so that that's kind of a theme that that I'm sensing. Um, which yeah, mm. it, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, it's all it's all connected. Um, and I think right. the other thing too that you mentioned is uh, kind of setting realistic expectations as well. Um, creativity oftentimes I feel like is framed in this, like they were this overnight success. Like they just mm. fell asleep one day, woke up and wrote a freaking concerto. Um, but mm -hmm. in reality, like, as I'm learning more and more, that's rarely ever the case. It takes lots of patience. It takes a lot of incremental progress, very similar to like science things where it's literally you take one step at a time. And it's oftentimes framed in this overnight success. I made this out in my garage mm -hmm. last week and now it's worth $5 billion kind of thing. Um, but if right. you really look closely and really pay attention, you'll see that none of these were overnight. It was a lot of like, whether the actual person frames it as such or not, because uh, some people mm -hmm. are like, yeah, I don't know, I just did it. But like, if you look closely, I feel like the common thread is that, yeah, people just did it little by little um, and set realistic expectations uh, so that they didn't feel like I had to climb this mountain without ever like even learning how to walk kind of thing. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think those are really, really kind of core principles that I think can be applied to many things. Um, so if any of you have been really scared of exploring your creativity, know that you actually probably already have the skills to do so. Um, mm -hmm. I think like one of the things that I think is important uh, in fostering creativity is to like forgive yourself for being bad at something. Mm -hmm. um, like, I think this is related to the, like, it just takes progress, like patient progress. 
Um, and it, you have to kind of set realistic expectations. You have to be bad at something before you, you're good at something. And mm -hmm. in creative work, like you'll like it'll start with, yeah, you've learned your first guitar chord, you make your first artwork, you design your first thing, and it's gonna mm -hmm. be bad. <laughs> like, right. Of course. It has you to don't be. Know how to do it. Yeah, it has to be. But like <laughs> I know that I've done this to myself and I've seen my friends do this to themselves where they're I and this is a re realistic expectation thing, but they're like, oh, I'm just not cut out for this. Um, mm -hmm. but like, I think you just have to forgive yourself. It was just like, yeah, like no crap. I'm bad at this. Like this is my first time. And so kind of giving yourself that grace, um, has been really mm -hmm. important for me in my creative journey, um, in, mm -hmm. in fostering it too. Cause yeah, no one knows how to do anything like from birth, <laughs> I think. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it just, yeah. you're right. It just takes a lot of iteration and a lot of steps. And, and a lot of the things that I shared really is if you're just fostering creativity for the sake of fostering creativity, you're nurturing it, you're letting this thing that wants to play inside of you, that's the child inside of you, um, you're just giving that person space to play, right? And then there's the other part of it is like, well, what if you do want to take it more seriously? What if you want to develop that into something that you can turn into a career or something that does bring in revenue or, you know, that can be something that is purposeful. And I'm reading it in uh, Jim Quick's book, uh, Limitless. I like the way that he describes it. He's like, there's passion and then there's purpose. And people use those things interchangeably, but they don't mean the same thing. So the way he defines it is passion is something that you can really get into. You just get lost in. And, um, you know, sometimes a passion can last many weeks and sometimes it's one weekend. You're passionate about something for a short amount of time. The difference is purpose is purpose is you sharing your uh, sharing something with others, helping others through your passions. So now you found something that you really enjoy and it's going beyond a weekend and you're really passionate about it. And you found a way to connect with other people, serve other people in, in a meaningful way. And that's a purpose. So I, I really like how he's defined those two because I could see many things in my own life where things passions will come and go and that's okay. He's like, that's, you have to explore those things and that's okay. And they can change all the time. That's fine. Purpose. And you know, that could change, but maybe that's a lot longer term. That's something that you, you found a way to help other people through. Mm -hmm. And, and I just, I really like those definitions and those things have been resonating with me lately. I love that a lot. Yeah. I, I can, I totally resonate with the fact that it's like those two things are often, um, inner, like people think of them as interchangeable and people almost mistake them for the same. Um, mm -hmm. and I, again, this is, I, this is the expectations thing, but like, I know that like, I've set myself in situations where I'm like, I'm going to do this thing. And if it mm. works out, I'm going to do this full time, which is like right. <laughs> the scariest <laughs> ultimatum to put on yourself. And it's a lot of pressure, right. um, right. but it's totally okay. Like you said, to let things breathe, to let yourself play and to find those mm -hmm. passions. So I love that. Um, it doesn't I think have we're going to gonna... be either or. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and finally, just, I think the last question that I want to ask you is kind of, um, how might we change how we view creativity as a community? Like if we had to reframe this left brain versus right brain kind of framework, um, how do you think we would do that? What do you think is like a kind of evolved message, um, evolved version of that, that, that could kind of work, uh, in many different ways? Hmm. 
let me collect my thoughts on that one. But I, I yeah. feel like creativity is asking the question that nobody seems to be asking and then connecting the dots in novel ways. So you're just connecting two things that may or may not belong with each other. But because you made that connection between those things, now you have something novel and something interesting. And that starts with a really good question, that curiosity, searching, and then making connections, meaningful connections between things. So I think if you look at it that way and um, outside of the the mediums, right, as a painter, as an illustrator, like forget those things. It's like creativity really is just connecting two disparate things in interesting ways. Yeah. And just to even add, add on to that from my technical side, if I may, I think STEM sciences, technical, logical stuff like adds on to that. And that that's all about how do you execute on those sorts of things? Like how do you actually bring those things to life in a physical world in an objective sense? Um, mm -hmm. I really think that's all that it is. Like, I think like there are highly technical people who are not software engineers or scientists whatsoever. Um, cause they just mm -hmm. like, know they've gathered a lot of knowledge about stuff because of that curiosity has led them to get that information. Um, and then they use that in some way, um, whether it's mm -hmm. literally just, they have, they have it stored up in their brain and, and they talk to people about it or they make something with it. Um, and mm -hmm. I feel like those are, those might be the definitions that, I mean, I, I at least I think uh, will definitely live by from now on. And I hope that we've changed a few people's minds today of, about creativity versus being technical. So thank you, Matthew. I love this conversation. This was so enlightening. Hey there, it's me again. I hope you're enjoying the episode with myself and Matthew. I want to take a moment to thank the sponsor of this episode and others, my YouTube members. I have a membership program right on YouTube where folks can get access to the recording of this live stream, emojis to use in the comments of every video and the live stream chat, a merch discount, and more. My members directly support the work that I do as a content creator and make Mugo's Corner possible. You too can become a member today and unlock these perks by clicking the join button on my YouTube channel, which is linked in the show notes of this episode. Now, let's get back to the show. Um, we're going to now move on to questions. I see a lot of great ones. Um, okay. The first one is going to come from Peter. Um, he asked, you recently left the future to try something new. I'm curious as to what, if any, was a comfortable financial safety net for you to stop something stable and start afresh. Um, there was actually mm -hmm. also another question that was asking you about how did you know you were mentally ready? So yeah. How did you know mm -hmm. you were mentally and kind of financially ready to take this <laughs> step? Yeah, so those are two big yeah, <laughs> those are <laughs> two big questions, right? Um so the question really is when you know when when do you know it's time to move on and when can you feel confident to to take the risk, right? Uh I've been working with Blind in the Future, Christo, my 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 former boss for 11 years. That's a long time and that is a big part of my identity and I've always felt that way because he's been a long-time mentor. So I've always told him that the moment I stop growing is the moment that I leave. And I tell, I've told him that publicly. I've told that on our live streams and the content that we've done. It's like the only reason why I'm still here working with you is because our goals are aligned and I'm learning something new every day. That slowly tapered off last year. 
for many different reasons. Uh, one of it is, you know, I just was wearing pretty much, I've worn every hat inside the company. I've gained pretty much everything that I could from all the people there. And Chris, who's being my, who's been my mentor, and I still consider him my mentor, um, he's now shared with the masses, right? Instead of me selfishly having him in the office that we could uh, exchange ideas and he can help nurture me. It's like now he's out there doing that for millions of people. And that was always the plan. So all of these things mentally made me feel like, you know what, I'm, I'm stagnating a little bit in growth and there are other opportunities out there. So he's basically trained me to the point where it's like, I don't need him anymore. I don't need the, 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 the crux or the, the, to have him and the company as something that I need to succeed. Because one thing, one reason why I even joined his company in the first place was I started freelancing with them right after the, um, the market crash of 2008. 2007, I had opened a business with a couple of partners. 2008, the market crashed. And then by 2009, we had decided to close our business. So it was very tough for me emotionally at that moment to say, hey, I shot out of school. I had all this great success. And now we have to close our business. So emotionally, that took me down to a weird place. Um, and that was a limiting belief that um, was inscribed into my brain. That experience made me feel like, you know what, you, can, you can't do it on your own. So 2009 me told me, you know what, you can't do it on your own. You should probably just go work for a company. And so I went to go work for Chris. I learned a lot. He mentored me. A lot of the experiences that I learned as a creative director working with clients, it just helped me become more and more stable in my mindset and, and uh, pick up a lot of skills, specifically soft skills that I didn't have. And eventually, you know, once I jumped on to the future, his other venture, uh, I started teaching and articulating and realizing all these things that I knew. So up until, you know, just this year, I felt like, shoot, I'm ready. Like, that 2009 me who told me that I couldn't do it on my own, why should I take advice from that person? They didn't know what they were doing. And I'm 10 years later and I know so much more. And look look at the impact that I've had. So emotionally, mentally, that's it took me a long time to get over that hump. The second part is the financial aspect. And the financial aspect was for me, I, I'm not ready. I'm not one person to take a huge risk and say, hey, this is generating a lot of revenue. Let me, this interests me. So let me just jump ship and jump to this new thing. Like I'm not that type of person. For me, it's like, okay, I'm doing this thing. Let me start building runway somewhere else and exploring other things. So I, we did that uh, and I witnessed that firsthand, you know, working at Blind, which is a client service company, which brought in so much of our revenue and then slowly building up the future, which is a startup in content uh, education. So I saw this example of me working two jobs, a lot of the people at the companies working two jobs, and slowly taking off the gas off of one thing and then moving on to the next thing. So even with my own pursuit, my uh, my personal endeavors, starting my own channel two years ago, and then seeing that thing grow on the sidelines as a passive thing, as a secondary thing that I do on nights and weekends, for it to become something that is actually generating lots of opportunity and revenue, was a light bulb for me. And it was at the end of 2020 when I was doing my books with my accountant and I looked at the revenue. I made as much revenue on all my side hustles than I did from my nine to five, my full-time thing. And that was the moment that I knew it's like, and I was doing this on the side. So what happens if I give my full focus and attention to 
I'll decide things. What's going to happen there? And that was that was enough for me. So some people can work off less. For me, it was just like I have to pursue this thing. This is growing. I have to pursue this, and I'm not growing as much here. So I have to make the change. So it's a very long-winded answer of of hopefully giving somebody the context of making that decision because it was not a snap decision. It, it was a lot of consideration. Yeah, definitely. This is another example, I think, where like it looks very binary, where there's literally an off switch and then there's an on switch. But in reality, mm-hmm. it's a lot of blending. It's it's grayscale. It's like things slowly morphing into another thing. And there's a lot of in between. So thank you so mm-hmm. much for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, next question comes from Champ Faranda. Do you think creativity can be something that can be taught? That's a good question. Yes. How do you teach creativity? Yeah, I think it goes back to when you were asking me about the definition of creativity uh, is just asking a question and how might you solve that? So the follow-up question would be, so if I drop the problem in your lap, it's like, you know, I want you to fit this square peg into that circle hole. Go. How else might you do that? Like if you, and how else might you do that? I think the the great follow-up questions is, um, and this is, you asked it earlier, it's like, how might we, right? This is so common in the design <laughs> world, um, problem solving world, how might we? And I, what, I learned a lot of this too from taking the Alt-MBA program with uh, Seth Godin. That was all about decision-making, but then looking at things from different perspectives. And the more you can challenge yourself to look at something in a different way, I think that's how you start to really develop these creative muscles that will lead you to novel uh, uh, pursuits and uh, novel answers and novel solutions as long as you keep asking the question like, why and how might we do this differently? How might we look at this differently? And just keep exploring that so many ways. Part of that looks like iteration and sometimes that just looks like play and it it's all these things. So I think you can become more creative if you're constantly pushing yourself beyond this is the obvious answer or this is the answer that everybody else came up with. Definitely. I love how you framed it as like a creative muscle too. Before the show started, you and I were talking a little bit about like, how do we develop like our memory muscle? And we were talking about like, it's Mm -hmm. just another muscle that you just have to work on and do different Mm -hmm. things to really like kind of um, progress that. And I think creativity is the same way, like especially in your definition of just, being curious about things, looking at things from a different way. Um, I think one of the things that really like helped unlock my creative thinking is to surround myself with other curious people who at the Mm. time I wasn't necessarily Mm. like they're creative types. Um, They were just really curious. And then I think seeing how they looked at the world and how they questioned the world um, without judging it, I think is an important ingredient of that um, Mm -hmm. helped me to, also be able to like have my own questions about the world and like sometimes I feel like my fostering creativity means jumping from wiki page to wiki page to learn about history and different things Mm -hmm. and other times I'm just like you know I feel like drawing today even though I literally Mm -hmm. I can't draw but it's just like I'm curious about what would happen if I did Um, I'm curious Mm -hmm. about how watercolor works I'm curious about like using these new colored pencils that I bought that look nice. Like it's, it comes in many Mm -hmm. shapes and sizes, I think. So yeah, completely agree with that. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. Next question from Sandra Basilio. Designers and engineers think alike on some things like iterative process, practicality, simulation process. What are other similarities you can think of? 
I feel like those are those are the big ones. I'm trying to think <laughs> yeah. of other other things. Uh, yeah, and I'm I'm sad that thing disappeared on the screen, but it's it's really. <laughs> I think it's just we keep going back to the fundamentals, which is just being curious and then looking at something at, in another way. And by asking, um, so I'll give you an example. Uh, working at the future, uh, you know, Chris started that channel back in 2014, I believe, uh, and they had a few seasons, a few years of running it. And then they did their thing and the channel grew. But what Chris likes to always say is what got us here won't get us there. Meaning if they kept doing the same thing, they'll probably get the same results. Mm -hmm. So if you want to have a different result, you have to try something different. So one thing that I do see uh, from creatives and even people who are just naturally intelligent and looking at things, sometimes not even from a logical sense, it's like, okay, I feel like things that are logically driven, it's like, how do we optimize this? How do we optimize this and develop systems so that this is optimized versus, okay, it's like, are you going to squeeze out 1% or do you want to squeeze out 10% or 20% difference? And in order for you to do that 10 or 20% difference, it does require asking a different question. And I think whether you're creative or not, like you're asking these bigger questions, it's like, okay, that's the result that we're accustomed to or that we're expecting. But what if we wanted a different result? Yeah, yeah. How might we approach that? Yeah, how might we? The big question. How might we? Yeah, right. <laughs> in my experience, I think the best kinds of like, the best experiences that I've had in working with designers as an engineer is when you, you can exactly do that. When you mm. are thinking about new ways to solve the problem. Because to me, like the kind of tripod of, work, especially in the product side of um, of Silicon Valley tech companies and stuff, is there's a product manager that decides the what we're going to make and why we're going to make it. Um, mm -hmm. Designers are kind of concerned with like, okay, how, like, what is it going to look like? How is it going to feel? Um, like, what's the flow going to be? And then engineers are like, okay, how are we going to build this? Um, like what exact tools are we going to use? And so when designers and engineers mm -hmm. work together, they're really like, okay, how do we bring this thing into reality? But like the really good designers and really good engineers, I think are the ones that can be like, okay, but like, like, what are we trying to solve? Is this the right problem to solve? Um, mm -hmm. Are we thinking about solving it in the right way? Um, mm -hmm. Like based on mm -hmm. this problem that we have, like, and these mm -hmm. are the technical capabilities that we have. These are the design capabilities that we have. How mm -hmm. can that produce something new, novel that might actually solve the problem even better, I think? Mm -hmm. So yeah, mm -hmm. like the creative problem solving, like using tools and skills in your existing arsenal and figuring mm -hmm. out how that can blend, I think. Um, mm -hmm. That's something that uh, I think is a similarity um, between mm -hmm. really great designers and really great engineers. Right. I think it's the idea of constraints, right? So if yeah. you have constra constraints are where you can become the most innovative and creative, where if you have a sandbox to play in, you know that whatever you create in that sandbox, you, you can make something amazing as long as you stay within those constraints. Mm -hmm. But another great question is just removing the constraint for a moment, just as a thought exercise is like, if this constraint did not exist, how would you approach this differently? And then that, that yeah. opens up this great thought experiment. And then you bring that back to whatever solution you're trying to come up with. So constraints are very important and should be respected and, and understood mm -hmm. as something that is part of the problem solving process.
Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I think like, especially in the first, like when you're in the first part of your career as anybody with that sort of job, like understanding those constraints, getting to know your stuff really well is like the foundation to be able to do that. So yeah, <laughs> wonderful. Okay, last question from Sean. How do you blend mm -hmm. arts with a tech career effectively coming from a future engineer who loves to draw and paint also? Um, mm -hmm. I can kind of start and share my experiences um, coming again from the technical side. Um, and this is just my own personal experiences and stuff. But I think this like creativity is such a buzzword in this thing, but like literally like being creative about how can I blend those two? And one of the things that I realized I could do is use my software engineering skills to work on a creative product, I guess. Um, and that was me mm -hmm. working at Patreon for two and a half years. Prior to that, I was working at Intuit where literally I was building TurboTax and QuickBooks, which like mm -hmm. not really seen as your typical creative product whatsoever. Um, you talk to accountants, you talk to regular people about their taxes. In working at Patreon, I knew that I really wanted to like just surround myself with this like kind of creative ecosystem. It's like, okay, this is how my software engineering skills can fit into like an ecosystem of creativity and a world of mm -hmm. creativity. And it was really fulfilling for me because like when I would meet users of Patreon, they'd all be creatives. They'd all be um, artists, like writers, YouTubers, podcasters, gamers, everything. And mm. that was cool because that was the first time that I was really exposed to that many different kinds of people who did that as a job. Um, and at the end of the day, we were solving problems that they had, I guess, in, in getting creators paid. So that's, mm -hmm. I think, that was a really like turning point for me in my career of just like, oh, there are creative ways to like blend those two things together. Um, mm -hmm. Because at, like, I think that's the beauty of technical stuff in software engineering. Like you can apply, if you know the core principles um, of your craft, then you really can apply it to everything. And coding is just so universal um, in so many things. Design, I think, is also an incredibly universal thing because you're not just designing websites and apps. You're designing the front page of websites for small businesses. You're designing flyers. You're designing the look and feel of literally anything and everything at all. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I think just getting to the basics of just like, what are the skills that I have? Um, and mm -hmm. how can I lend those or use them in a different way for me has been um, the way that I, I blend those two together. Yeah. And I, I want to add to that because um, that led me to an idea. It's like, well, <clears throat> if you consider certain tech companies right now, for instance, like Adobe, they're developing and have been developing new iPad software that's mm -hmm. to compete with the Procreates of the world, where it's technical software that's meant to emulate wet and real mediums. Right. So that is one way where you can leverage your actual want and need and desire of painting to combine it with something that's technical and mm -hmm. trying to get on one of those teams, one of these uh, companies that's building tools that serves that, I think could be one way that you blend the two. The other alternate perspective I want to share is why do those two worlds have to blend? Mm because they don't necessarily have to, like I shared earlier. So what if painting is just the thing that brings you joy? And that's the whole purpose of that. And I caution a lot of people who have these great passions for certain things where they want it to earn revenue or they want it to result in something else. 
And yes, it's nice if it can do that. And it, it can be beautiful if it if those things overlap and and become something as a result in your life. But also sometimes I, I see people who will have this creative pursuit. They try to monetize it. And then all of a sudden it becomes a job. And now all of the joy is just sapped out of it. So just be careful of wanting to turn every creative pursuit or passion that brings you joy into something that has to be monetized, into something that has to be other than resulting in joy. So I, I just want to offer that alternate perspective because I think it's also important to protect those aspects of your life and not make everything into a job and not make everything into a money printing machine. 100%. I think it kind of goes with like when you're doing anything in, in life, like all of the different buckets that you have your hands in, really thinking about like what purpose does this serve? Like, why am I doing mm -hmm. this? What do I want to get out of this? Um, and mm -hmm. yeah, there are definitely things like that you've shared that you, you like, I just do this because I like doing it. Um, there's things that I, I do that I'm just like, yeah, I really expect zero money or income or any sort of career path in this, but I just kind of enjoy it. Um, anything mm -hmm. from like singing and guitar playing to like, I'm always just like, yeah, I don't know, like play with my dogs is something that I enjoy doing, but it's not, I'm never going to mm -hmm. expect it to like make money or something. It's just literally right. there for joy. <laughs> like I like my right. dogs and I like hanging out with dogs. So right. introspecting, really thinking about, yeah, what do you, what do you want from this? Um, like what, what is, mm -hmm. what is really the thing that, um, what purpose does this serve in your life at different points too, like checking in frequently, mm -hmm. I think. We'll give mm -hmm. those answers as well. And there's one more layer that I do want to add, because if you do want to get serious about something and you're like, ooh, I could see some overlap of these two aspects of my life, uh, a skill and a desire, a skill and a passion. Um, if you do want to pursue something like that, there are already examples of what it is that you want to do. So we gave an example earlier about working with a tech company that's overlapping with that. So what other ways, what other examples can you find out there of somebody or some company who is already doing that? And I think it was Jim Rohn who says success leaves clues. I believe it's him. So if you study that person or entity, how did they do what they did? And then study three or four or five more, triangulate your information. And then what resonates with you in those stories, in those pathways, and knowing what you know now what can you build from that that would make sense taking what's already tried and true and then trying something different that's meaningful and appropriate to you and and what other people want yeah definitely that's a golden tip right there <laughs> well this is the end of our show actually thank you so much matthew for being on it i this conversation made my brain buzz as usual uh with all muko's corners but i've learned a lot uh in the session so thank you for being on the show uh, matthew where can people learn more about you your work and this topic yeah so um you can find me uh pretty much on all social channels at matthew and cena and uh you can look more about me at matthewandcena.com Awesome. Definitely go check him out. I love his YouTube videos. If y'all are into like aesthetic room setup related stuff, like your videos are always goals. <laughs> so definitely check Thank him you. out. <laughs> and that's the show. Thank you so much to Matthew for being on it. I really enjoyed our conversation. You can check him out at Matthew Encina on Twitter, Instagram, and youtube.com slash Matthew Encina. And thank you for listening. Share with me what you liked in today's show or suggest future topics and guests by tagging me on social media at HelloMayuko. And as always, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. 
Hope you take care and I'll see you in the next episode.